This time we're picking up in verse 15. We are beyond the big sentence in verses 3 through 14. And now we're on to another big sentence. As our Bibles might have periods in them, but as I was studying this, I read that in the original, this is 15 through 23, is another big sentence, all one sentence. So here we are again at another big sentence. I'm going to read 15 through 23, end of the chapter. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. You're welcome to have a seat. Paul's prayer of thanksgiving. Paul's prayer of thanksgiving. When you say to somebody, I'll be praying for you, what do you mean by that? And why did you say it? What do you mean, I'll be praying for you? Are you, are you going to be praying for them about something specific that they asked you to? Are they in a time of crisis? Are they going through a trial? Are they trying to make a decision? All those are good reasons to pray for somebody. I'll be praying for you. What do you mean and what drives you to pray for others? I know for me, I'm often, I confess, driven to pray for others most often because something bad's happening. And if I really examine myself, I realize so many of my prayers that I pray for others are because of bad things that have happened to them or are happening or, or they think something's bad is happening to them. I pray for myself because I think something bad is happening to me. Whether or not it is, is actually, for me, probably debatable. But I'm convinced. And those aren't bad reasons to pray. Those aren't bad reasons. In fact, Scripture even tells us to pray about things like that. Here, we look at a very powerful prayer. A very power, powerful prayer that is such a a prayer of such a mighty, such mighty topics, such a mighty request that it is not dominated by circumstances. The, Paul, the prayer Paul prays here, actually, when we start to read in verses, verse 15, it says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Not a crisis there. 
not something bad. In fact, there's something good. But he's praying this, this heartfelt, deep prayer for the Ephesians. This is a prayer not dominated by circumstances. It is a timeless prayer. It's not dominated by time. This is something that one could pray for any believer. Any believer at any time, someone could pray for them. This could be prayed for any, any church. It is a prayer that's in God's will. Sometimes we say, if you are willing. And perhaps rightfully so. Jesus even said that in the Garden of Gethsemane. And when we say it, I think sometimes we say it because we're not really sure if that's God's will. Like we're, we're praying for something that, and it's, it's not something that's clearly laid out in Scripture. It's maybe something that we want that in and of itself is probably a good thing, but we're not really sure if that's what God wants for us. And maybe we, maybe we kind of say it as a safeguard for ourselves as we're praying to help us, help us realize that we are praying to God and He's ultimately the one who makes the decision. Here's a prayer that is in God's will. This is praying God's will. How do we get our prayers answered most, most excellently, most assuredly? Pray the will of God. Pray the will of God. And what, how do we know that? It's laid out for us in Scripture. And here is an excellent example. So this is a prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesians. And it is a prayer that we can soak up as well. Because this would be, this is clearly God's will for believers in Christ. This is a prayer that we can, we can ask the Lord to grant us this kind of wisdom for ourselves, to know Him more personally. And it's a prayer that we can be praying for other people. And that's going to be the basis of this message. A prayer that we can soak, the, these, this truth we can soak up ourselves and ask the Lord to help us to know Him better in this way, personally. And we can pray this for other people as well. A prayer you can pray for any other believer. We learn to pray from other people, don't we? We learn from the people in the Bible. And I think if any of us tried to think of how we learned how to pray, we would probably cite people like our parents, maybe a Sunday school teacher, maybe a relative, maybe a minister or some leader or a mentor in your life. And then as we go through life and, and make more of a lifestyle of prayer, we pick different things up, better or worse, from other people. Hopefully better. And that, that's the, the Lord uses people to teach each other how to pray. Jesus' disciples, as people have often commented on, asked him, there, there are so many things they could have asked him, teach us how to do this or that. They said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And he taught them how to pray in the words that many churches even today recite every single week because they're, it's such a, a simple, clear teaching that Jesus gave. When we look in Scripture, we can learn how to pray more deeply. Sometimes, if you're anything like me, you realize a lot of, sometimes your prayers are often the same. And sometimes your, the, just the peaks and valleys of your life kind of, kind of dominate your prayers. And then when you go into Scripture, sometimes it takes you deeper. 
the Lord takes you deeper in prayer because you see these these timeless prayers of the saints of ages past and they're praying for deeply spiritual things. I remember one time, not one time, many times, when I, I taught at a Christian middle school and some of the, the younger kids at the middle school during our time of prayer, sometimes they would pray and their prayers, many of their prayers, and I guess they must have learned this from each other, said would, that their prayers would almost always start out, Dear God, thank you for this day. Please help it to be a good day. And we can't be too critical. They're, they're learning. They're learning. But I was wondering sometimes, what does that mean? Please help it to be a good day. What exactly does that mean, theologically? How, how do you break that down? And the reality is, I probably say the same thing. I just use different words. And uh, I'm convinced that it's spiritual. But then when we're confronted with Scripture, you ever have this time when you, you see a prayer that someone's praying, like this prayer that Paul's praying for the Ephesians. This is so, this is so deep. This is, so, this is such a deep prayer of spiritual growth he's praying for them. We can learn from others. We can learn from others indeed. Let's learn from Paul as he prayed at this excellent prayer for the Ephesians because we have an excellent Lord. So the context of this, we've been in this previous passage for three weeks. We move on and we look back to see the idea of God choosing the Ephesians and choosing them to be blameless and holy before them, before Him. And the Holy Spirit given as a guarantee of their inheritance until they could acquire possession of it to the praise of God's glory. And we kept on seeing that refrain, to the praise of God's glory. It all goes back to, to the glory of God. So we were just reading about salvation, being, being saved and being in Christ. And now we get into this prayer about a deepening understanding of the blessings uh, that come with being in union with Christ. What does it mean to be in, in Christ, in union with Jesus? Here, in this second long sentence, Paul asks that, that God would give a very necessary spirit of wisdom. And with that very necessary spirit of wisdom, he asks that God would open up the Ephesians' minds, open up the eyes of their hearts to three things. And this is what we're going to be focusing on. Three things that Paul prayed for the Ephesians, three things that we can ask the Lord to open up our hearts to, to know Him more deeply, and three things that we can be praying for other believers. We can be praying this for one another. We can be praying this for the saints of higher ground Nottingham. We can be praying this for the saints of the city of Gloucester and other churches, that we can all be coming to the, come to a, a fuller knowledge, and a fuller oneness in Christ. Here they are. God calls us to hope. We are God's inheritance. And God gives us mighty power in Christ. God calls us to hope. We are God's inheritance. And God gives us mighty power in Christ. We'll go to each of those as we go. But first, how do we come to that understanding? It is a necessary spirit of wisdom that Paul prays for. 
Let's pick up in verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And we'll start to go into verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. The Holy Spirit, initially, for any believer, before the person is converted, has to open up their eyes to the cross and the need for the gospel. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 2, 6 to 12. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 6 to 12, says this. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. The Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For he who knows a person's thoughts, or sorry, for who knows a person's thoughts except for the Spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except for the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. 2 Corinthians 4.6 says this, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, that is, as he did in Genesis, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Initially, for all people, the Holy Spirit has, has to open up their minds to understand the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel. And then, when someone understands the message of the gospel, if they accept it, if, they res if the person responds, and becomes born again to understand the depths of who God is and His love for them and as it's portrayed in Scripture, we, it's a whole lifestyle depending on the Holy Spirit to understand that and to grow in that from there. It's interesting how people at different life stages will respond or not respond to the Gospel. We were just talking about this the other night at Grace's apartment, how, how some people will accept Christ, will turn to the Christ as Lord at a very young age, and, and really, it really turn to the Lord. Not, it's not just their parents' faith that they've sort of inherited, but not really. It's really saving faith. And then there are others who will be um, elderly, and they'll be perhaps on their deathbed, and they'll turn and have an authentic salvation. 
And it might have been after years of the Lord sending people to proclaim the gospel to them. Why does it work that way for some? Why is it different? Why do some people accept Christ in a, uh, at a young age, in a, in a Sunday school classroom, in a, in a white church with a nice field in front of it that looks like a Thomas Kincaid painting? <laughs> and others turn to the Lord in a, a rehab facility uh, after almost dying from drugs, or, or maybe they're uh, in prison, maybe they're even on death row. And what? I don't know. I don't know. That's the, that's the, that's the mystery. It's a mystery. Uh, but the Lord meets us where we are. The Lord meets us where we are. And once we are in Christ, the Holy Spirit still has to help us to know Him more. God gave us the Holy Spirit to live in us. Jesus said that the Spirit will will bring to his disciples remembrance everything that he's told them. And we have the Holy Spirit that will help us to make sense of this. Will help us to make sense of this. There, there's ultimately, there are so many good study aids when it comes to reading scripture. But ultimately, the, the, the two most important are the Holy Spirit. And I don't mean to be irreverent by referring to him as a study aid. He's so much more than that, of course. <laughs> but he is greater than any commentary. And then, of course, the best commentary, which is the Bible. And then all the other ones, there are many other ones that are good too, but they're so much below those two. Those are the essential ones. And the Holy Spirit will help us compare Scripture to Scripture as he brings it to our remembrance as well. Spirit of wisdom. Paul prays for the spirit of wisdom. So once in Christ, we need that spirit to open our minds. When, when we, re we looked at Psalm 119 back a little while ago, and how often throughout that big psalm, the psalmist prays that God will help him to understand the scripture. And that's good for us to pray too, whenever we approach scripture. That God will help us to understand, no matter how many times we've looked at a passage of scripture, that God will help us to understand it. There's, there's always more to be grasped. And there's always a different life stages where we are that the Holy Spirit can speak to us. Not changing the meaning, but changing the application. Given where, or, or crafting the application I should say. To where we are in life. Still keeping the same meaning and the same truth all the while. And what does this scripture studying have to do with this? God reveals his love to us through scripture. And we see it in other ways too. But most clearly and most thoroughly, we look at God's special revelation in scripture. And, and to be able to look at these, these different things that Paul is praying for the Ephesians to understand. The hope to which they are called to, that they are God's inheritance, and the mighty power available to them in Christ. We can see this in scripture. But we have to ask the Holy Spirit. We need this, this spirit of wisdom to enable us to understand these things. Content knowledge is never enough. Just as God is unknowable, and He had to reveal Himself to us, both through His created order, our conscience, and ultimately the special revelation of Jesus Christ and the Scripture, the depths of His love for us in Christ 
we, we can only understand a certain amount. And, and we have to dig into the Word, and the, and the Lord reveals it to us more deeply as we do. In contrast, you'll hear me contrast this to New Age a number of times in this message. In contrast to New Age, this revelation that Paul is praying for has substance. They, when we see, there's a word the New Age folks must, might like in here. But hey, we could use this to reach out to them. It speaks, Paul, Paul prays that the Ephesians' hearts would be enlightened. Enlightened. The New Age folks might like that word. Enlightened. Be enlightened. I bet if we walked around downtown here enough, we'd be able to see a New Age flyer with the word enlighten on it. And if we went to Rockport, we would too. We, but this is something different. When, when the New Age uh, spiritualists seek enlightenment, they're seeking this, this oneness with the universe, this balance. And while many of them are so passionate about that, I think many of them also, if, if you really ask them to break down, what does that mean? I don't know if they'd be able to tell you. They might just give you some kind of circular description like, well, the universe is one and one is the universe and all is one and one is all. Yeah, but what does that actually mean? It means that we're together in peace and unity and tranquility and balance and levitation even sometimes. But what does that mean? And I don't know if they'd actually be able to tell you, but we can. We can, not, not because we've come to some better conclusion, but because it is based in something concrete. Moreover, someone specific. It is based in Jesus Christ. And that is the difference of our hope. And that's where we transition as well. So it is necessary to have a spirit of wisdom. And now first, God prays that the Ephesians will realize that they are called to hope. And God wills that we realize that we are called to hope. And we can pray for other believers that they will come to a realization of the hope to which they are called to. Let's go in to verse 19. Just kidding. We'll continue in verse 18. And we will get to 19 eventually. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. To know what is the hope to which he has called you. The hope, the spiritual blessings in Christ, and the eternity of living with Jesus forever. The hope to which he has called us. We have everything we need for life and godliness in Christ Jesus. That is great hope. We are called to hope. And this type of hope, I like mentioning this. I mentioned this a, a number of times, and it's fitting to mention it again because the word is here. But this is, I find this so encouraging. When God calls us to hope, it's not that vague hope. It's not the scratching of the lottery ticket hope. It's not the, oh, great, got this bill in the mail. I hope this isn't too much, but you know it will be. <laughs> it's not... The hope of when you're at the beach and the seagulls begin to fly over your head. Oh, I hope, I hope it all goes well. 
Nay, it is something much greater. This is a hope of anticipation, expectation. It's a hope of confidence. It's been well said that we as Christians of all people should be the most optimistic. I'm convicted when I say that. Sometimes I'm not. But that's not to say that we should be optimistic just for the sake of optimism itself. And there's, there's something good about seeing the glass is half full. It's better than the alternative. But this is a hope that's, that goes beyond that. It's, it's, again, just like the spirit of enlightenment that, that we want is rooted in something, our hope is rooted in something, someone. If we go back to verse 14, and, and rewind even a little bit into 13. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. Holy Spirit in us, giving us great hope. Someone specific, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit in us, these are specific things, great things, unlike earthly hope. Earthly hope, there are times when we can hope in earthly things, as long as they're not the center of our hope. And there are good things that can, that can encourage us and give us hope on earth. But the reality is they all have their plateau, don't they? The best case scenario is we fully experience something we hoped for on earth, some, uh, an earthly reality, an, an earthly pleasure of some type that might, might be something good and, and, and completely wholesome, but, but we reach whatever, whatever that full level is, it plateaus, and then, best case scenario, we're left with fond memories. And those are good. We'll hold on to them. But Jesus and the Holy Spirit that guarantees our future inheritance in us is so much sure, so much more solid of a hope to put our faith in. Hope grounded in the Lord. Ask the Lord to understand a deeper understanding of that hope. Ask the Lord for on other people's behalf. Pray for others that they may have a greater understanding of that hope to which they have been called in Christ. Paul goes on, this time really going into verse 18. Which we did last time anyway. <laughs> oh well. <laughs> they weren't in the original text anyway, those verses. But that gives me no excuse because they were around by the time I was born. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, this, I think it would be true both ways to say the inheritance that we have and the fact that the saints are the Lord's inheritance. I think the second one is what this scripture is talking about. But if we went back even to the beginning of this chapter, the last passage, we would see our inheritance too. Uh, it's ultimately true either way. But to focus on this, the Lord's inheritance in the saints, that we are God's inheritance. That we are God's inheritance. Many people, and sadly many Christians, 
and honestly, probably all of us to some extent at times, will seek to feel better about ourselves in superficial ways. Whether it's comparing ourselves to others, many people will post comments or pictures of themselves online and, and seek some kind of refuge or consolation from, from the, the, the positive feedback other people give them. There's a constant seeking of image change. Of course, there's putting others down for the sake of trying to build ourselves up. Or maybe it's seeking some kind of approval of somebody we look up to or, or um, someone who we may, may find um, intimidating or threatening in, a, in a, maybe a jealous sort of way. Whatever it might be, many believers uh, will look down on themselves and the natural fleshly way can be to try to look in the mirror, mirror as it were, and try to puff ourselves up somehow or, or build ourselves up or find some kind of goodness in ourselves to try to convince ourselves that we measure up. Whether or not we measure up is neither here nor there. But the point is, if we are God's inheritance, the saints being God's inheritance, we are precious to the Lord. Precious to the Lord indeed. The ultimate answer is to not look to self for that gratification, for that comfort when, when, we, when we feel that, that we maybe aren't, aren't really up to par in some way, maybe compared to somebody, but ultimately to look to the Lord and find our value there. I'm going to use a very common scripture. So common, I, sometimes I'll look at something like John 3.16 and think I can't use that. Everybody knows that. But that's okay. The gospel's simple. There's nothing, there's nothing new that we need to communicate. We just need to communicate the age-old message in, in a way through the Holy Spirit that meets people where they are. So in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the world. The depths of the Lord's love. We can gloss over it because we've heard it a million times. But the depths of God's love, the, the, the inheritance of the saints, we are precious to the Lord. I was thinking a little while ago about what I would do. I've heard of a few scenarios where people were in this scenario, and I was thinking, what would I do if I had my Bible with me that I've had, my study Bible with me that I've had for a long time, and it has all kinds of highlighting and all kinds of notes that I've taken from sermons over the years and all kinds of personal notes. And what if I met somebody somewhere, like somewhere on the street in Boston or something like that, who said, I don't have a Bible and I really need one. Would I give it to him? I feel like the answer, like we all know what the answer should be, right? <laughs> and that's just the Bible. I have others at home. I don't even know how many I have. And, and they're good ones too. <laughs> And that makes me think, if that, that thought, that, that would have to make me ponder that a little bit, just for, just for a Bible, when I have others at home, and I, I have, I'm not rich by American standards anyway, but I have the money to go out and get another Bible if I needed to, if I had to give them all. And then we think, how much more, how much far beyond that? God giving the most precious commodity, the depths of his love, giving his most precious commodity, commodity indeed, his only son. It's hard for me to fathom 
as one who doesn't have kids, it's hard for me to fathom the idea of someone giving their only son. But the fact that I don't have kids actually probably makes it easier for me to fathom because I don't have to put a name or a face to it. For those of you who do have kids, how much more, how much more you can begin to understand the depths of the love of the Lord. We are precious in God's sight. The hairs on our head are numbered, indeed. Don't look to earthly things to try to convince yourself of self-worth. Look to the Lord and see His great love for you. And that's a message that we can share with many people. People everywhere are seeking some, somewhere, somehow to feel loved, to feel like they have importance. And many are looking in all the wrong places. But we look, when we look to the cross, we see the love demonstrated perfectly. And finally, Paul prays this for the Ephesians, that God, by a spirit of wisdom and revelation, will enlighten them, will open the eyes of their hearts to see that God gives them mighty power in Christ. <clears throat> that God gives them mighty power in Christ indeed. All right, this time we're really going into verse 19 and beyond. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in the age to come, but I mean, not only in this age, rather, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What a statement. What a statement. Paul piles up description upon description to try to help the Ephesians see the, the great depth of this. When he says the immeasurable greatness of his power, we cannot measure the greatness of the power. And he likens it and even equates to the power that's used to raise Jesus from the dead. And then he goes on to see, to show that not just raising him from the dead, but raising him up to sit at the right hand of God the Father above every name. What, what a powerful statement. What a powerful statement indeed. Let's let that soak in for just a moment. The same power. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Same as that which raised Jesus from the dead. It's unfathomable. It's unfathomably great. Same power available to us that raised Jesus from the dead. And it takes all this description here to think to get our minds even, even in the right place where we can begin to understand the great power available to us who believe. All right, here comes another, the next New Age comment. Don't be intimidated by the vast amount of New Age spirituality around us. Here in verse 21, Paul writes, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, above all rule and authority, above every power and dominion, 
We know that Jesus is greater than New Age spirituality, as in we know he's more powerful, but sometimes we just need to hear it. When we're surrounded by all these flyers everywhere, the spiritual darkness around us, it can, it can wear us down sometimes. It can wear people down. I know we've talked about sometimes that sometimes uh, some of us have commented about how, and, and when we went to the, um, some of us went to that, that conference a couple weeks ago, I heard someone say it there too, which wasn't even someone from our church, saying that some people who travel here from other places find it literally hard to pray because of the great spiritual, the, the, the thick Los Angeles smog, if you will, of dark spirituality. Yet, when we read this, we're reminded the greatness of the Lord Jesus above sitting at the right hand of God the Father, reigning above all, above every power and dominion. So don't be intimidated by the fact that there are many flyers around, but the fact that there's, there's con this constant New Age practice around. Don't be intimidated by it because we serve a greater, more mighty God who gives us the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Now, that being said, we ought to be reverent also. We, sometimes the Lord might call us, and I think he will, some of us anyway, to reach out to people who practice the new age. And as, as the Lord continues to grow us as a body in whatever way he does, I, I, we're, we have to brush shoulders with these people. We have to. <laughs> they're out there. <laughs> they're, they're our mission field. But when we do, we are to be reverent too. We're to be reverent. Because just as my friend Anthony III of Norway, name has been changed to protect his identity, although I'll, I'll say something good about him actually. Anthony III of Norway one time was reading, he's a Christian, was reading the Book of Mormon just because he wanted to understand their perspective to be able to maybe defend the Christian faith better or something. And as he was reading it, he came to the conviction, I have to stop this. I'm not, I'm not strong enough. I can't do this. Wisely, he put it aside. Wisely, he put it aside. That doesn't mean he was weak. It means he was discerning, and it means he was mature enough to do that and to realize I'm not at the place where I can be doing that. We, too, need to walk with discretion and carefulness as we go around here because while Jesus is above every name, we're not Jesus. We have his power. But there are some lines that we need to draw and not go beyond them. Just thought I'd put that out there as we, as we walk carefully about. Now, as the Ephesians are hearing Paul's words here, it's been said there's nothing new under the sun. In, a in Acts chapter 19, uh, the believers are in Ephesus. The scene is Ephesus. And there are people who turn to the Lord, and Acts 19.19 19 says this, And the number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. Now I confess I didn't look that up in my little table in my Bible that says uh, different measurements and things like that. And I don't really know how much 50,000 pieces of silver was. But something tells me that's a lot. It's a big number. Their magic or sorcery or, or, or earthly spirituality 
was a very real thing to them in Ephesus. It was a very real thing to them. They dealt with it. And Paul mentions this. Jesus is above every name, every power and dominion. They, they needed to hear that. We need to hear that as we go forward. The Lord is with us, and the great power that raised him from the dead is with us, available to us. That power, um, let, me, let me backtrack a little bit. As we grow in Christ, that, that process called sanctification, which just means becoming more like Jesus, that process is a journey. It really is a journey through life. We're all at different places. Yet, this power available to us that's, uh, that, that is like the working of the power that raised Jesus from the dead, that, that power is available to us by being in union with Christ. It's not something that we achieve. It's not something that we work ourselves up to. It's, some, it's available to us by being in union with Christ. By being in Christ. The spiritual blessings that come by being in Christ. So that is to say that wherever you are on your journey in Christ, and it is a journey, wherever you are, God will meet you where you are, and the power is available to you in Christ to, do, to live the life God wants you to live right where you are, whatever spiritual gift or gifts he's given to you, to be able to use them for the building up of his body and for his glory. And, and whatever, call, whatever he's calling you to do, whether, you, whether that calling is a, a, life, a whole lifestyle calling, or whether it's just something specific that you might not even use the word calling to define, but it's something specific that the Lord is directing you to do where you are right now, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you to do that. The Lord has fully equipped us in Christ for wherever we are on that process of becoming more like Him. That's true for us as individuals, and it's true for us as a church. In Christ, God will empower us to do everything He has gifted and called us to do. He just needs our cooperation. <laughs> we need to, just need to be, as we were praying this morning, surrendered to Him. We are praying and singing this morning to be surrendered to Him. So in Christ, God has empowered us to overcome any temptation. Any temptation. He knows the temptations that will come our way and they all have to go through His holy grid, as it were. In Christ, that, the great power He gives us, we can overcome any temptation that comes our way. We have the ability to, in Christ, by leaning on Him, to overcome it. And then there's the much-quoted scripture that people say from Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And if, if we went and looked this up, we'd see the context really is contentment. Paul was saying, I know what it's like to have much. I know what it's like to have little. I'm paraphrasing here, of course. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Whatever situation we're in, the trials that come to us, the, the, the struggles, the unexpected things, the carpet that's pulled out from under us, the Lord knew it would happen. Doesn't mean He made it happen necessarily. Doesn't mean that it in and of itself brings Him glory. It could be something bad that's happening. Or it could just be the muck and mire of daily life. But whatever that is, God has equipped us with the power of contentment. The power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, 
is at work in us and available to us to endure whatever circumstances. Again, true for us as individuals, true for us as a church, true for the Ephesians as individuals, true for the Ephesians as a church. Paul praises for the Ephesians. This is something that we can pray for others. We can pray this for each other. We can pray for other believers who we know, that they will come to a greater understanding of the great power of Christ that's available. Sometimes when we see some, some area that we we've maybe believe God is calling us to, we think, but how can I do that? But I, 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 it's about the great power that's available to us in Him. Not how, not how qualified we are. God chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And He does it so He can receive the glory. We are called to hope. The Ephesians were called to hope. Let's pray for others that they'll understand that they were called to hope. The Ephesians were God's inheritance. We are God's inheritance. Let's pray for others that they'll understand that they are precious in God's sight. The Ephesians have a mighty power available to them in Christ. We have a mighty power available to us in Christ. And let's pray for our brothers and sisters that they will understand more deeply, that to have the spirit of, of wisdom and revelation, to have an enlightening and opening of their hearts to understand the great power available to them that is the same, that raised Jesus from the dead and, set him, and seated him at the right hand of God the Father. Amen. Amen. Let's join together in a word of prayer. Oh, precious and holy Lord, we thank you, Lord, for our union with you, that, that we know you. Thank you for, for bringing us to salvation and, and giving us new life. We thank you for this fellowship, Lord, and we look, we look around and see these, these people who you've brought into our lives to, to love and experience your love through them, to share your love with them, to, to grow in them as a body, to be able to reach out to the community around us. We pray, O oh Lord, for the churches of this city. We pray for all the churches who are in you of this city, Lord, that you would open, give them that spirit of wisdom and revelation. Open the eyes of their hearts. Give them an enlightening to be able to understand these truths. We pray for us as individuals, but we pray also for us as a church, Lord, that together as one we may come to an understanding of this. And we pray, Lord, also for, for higher ground, Nottingham, we lift them up, Lord. We pray for, for a spirit of wisdom and revelation and enlightening and opening of the eyes of their hearts to understand these three things. We ask all this in the precious name of Jesus. We commit our tithes and offerings to you, Lord, that they'll be uh, pleasing to you, a gift to you, and used for your glory. We commit our time of fellowship to you, Lord, for the same thing. We ask that you'll just draw us to you more, draw us to you, draw us to one another more deeply. And, and great, authentic Christian love for one another. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen.